Welcome to Top 5 Comics, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. Here is today we have the astonishing Rob. Hi. hi. We also have the spectacular CBS. So you spectacular, mister. That's where the pants come off, no? No, I hope not. Hey, all right. Uh, uh, welcome to Top of Comics Podcast. So today we are doing episode number 95. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Book-wise, we're going to be going through uh, Generation X number one, Batman in the Shadow number one, uh, Medicine, Medicine. Like S-I-N, medicine. Yeah, if it's from uh, Action Lab. Yeah. And then uh, Luke Cage, number one. And Flash, number 22. From the illustrious DC Comics. I don't know why the rest of them weren't illustrious, but that one is, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, let's see, so uh, we don't have the young Ross with us today, so no dog pile. But, Rob, do you have any news? Oh well, I got I got new videos of XCOM on Ant Man 2050. I don't know if I say that's news or not, Rob. It's already happening. It's not news. It's news every week. Ah, if it's new to you, then it's well. No, I mean there's a new video just about every week. Oh, gotcha. That's what he means on oh. YouTube. Well, all right. So I mean it's it's new if you haven't been there this week. You know, you know what else isn't new, Rob? Hmm. Logan. That's true. Now a while back we we talked about. Uh, Reviewing the movie, well, I mean, not reviewing, I don't know, I guess cussing at the movie Logan. If you haven't seen Logan yet, then you probably want to fast forward past this. Right? Does that sound right? Yeah, no, that makes sense. You might want to skip this, this chunk. Just, just a little bit. I mean, it's going to be spoilery for sure. I mean, there's no reason for it not to be. So, uh, well, yeah, so I guess we'll get into that for a second and then... Then we'll do some book stuff, right? That's what they're really yeah, here that's for. That's what right? they're here for. The magic of the... Yeah, I don't know if they really care what we think about Logan. Probably not. I, I don't even know if I care what we think about Logan. No, that's not good. Ultimately, good movie, yes. I'm going to say, it's, it's a good movie. It's fun to watch. If you haven't had a chance to watch it yet, well, then you're failing. Or lazy. No? Or maybe, maybe they're just waiting for it to come home. Waiting for it to come home, come home with you, tuck in to sleep at night. Yes, yeah. Hugh Jackman. He's got knives in his hands, Rob. That's not a good idea. Some people they don't think these things. If you you have, if you've seen the movie, well. So before we go much further with that, uh, if you haven't watched Logan and you don't want to hear a bunch of stuff about it, then uh, skip forward. You know, to the books, the part you're really here for. Not either one of us entertaining fellas. You know, that, that's the forewarning. It's going to be spoilery. Now, straight from there, you don't want to tuck you in because you saw him tucking in Professor X. You know what that results in, Rob? Knife's in the chest. It's true. He's not good bedside matter. It doesn't matter which version it is. Young, old, clone, not clone, whatever. You don't let him put you to bed. Multiple reasons. Yeah, at least six. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Three in each hand. Yeah. That, that was pretty smooth. Knife hands. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. 
like Freddy Krueger, except on both sides. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, so... Chances are you've seen Logan at this point. And you might... You have an opinion of it, I'm sure. Right. And honestly, when you look at the acting, Hugh Jackman does really good. Yeah, oh yeah. And Patrick Stewart does really good. Fantastic. Everybody that was in the film actually acted really well. So it wasn't really their fault that the script let him down completely. Well, maybe not completely, but it did definitely have giant holes in it. Yeah, for the for the most part, there was a lot there was a lot of issues with that film. Oh yeah. Um, the internet loves it. The yeah. internet doesn't care what you think. That's true. I, I think that the internet is confused with two things. I think they're confused with the success of Deadpool was because it had an R rating, which is not the case. No, not true. And that because you kill characters, you killed the most important characters in the story, that somehow that's an ending, so that makes it a good story. You have to like it because it's an ending. And that's not true either. Yeah, agreed. You know, I mean, anybody who's seen the new Magnificent Seven would know that that's not a good ending. <laughs> because they didn't do a good job of that. Yeah. If you've seen the other one, okay, that's a good job. This new one, not so much. Anyhow, we're getting... It was fun. Chris Pratt's great. Oh, yes. Denzel yeah. Washington's also great. Yeah, but there's a lot of... Oh, no, yeah, there's definitely a problem, too. There, too. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. No doubt. But, yeah, as far as Wolverine's concerned, or the Logan. Logan, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, Logan. Logan. I mean, movie-wise, it's not a bad movie. and, and, and it's, But it's not great, either. And all the acclaim it's getting, if, it was, if it's for just the actors or the action, awesome. I mean... Effects, great. See, at this point is where I normally put my hand next to my head and I do the claw motion to show you my claws going through my head. Because it's amazing, because the stuff that you see in the movie is great! Oh my god, it's awesome. But since you're listening at home, you can't see me do that. So, imagine your head, claws popping through to its head. Awesome! Just terrifyingly awesome. Well, what are you doing at the bad guys, Rob? Not just normal, not like a cash teller that's like trying to do his job, or a guy at Burger King trying to do his job. He's a guy that's spitting your burger, and he gets us nice. No? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if it's worth death, but sure. Still in your hubcap? Well, yeah. Okay, well, I mean, spit they, they, were, they, were, they were stealing his tires, too. You know, I mean, yeah. like he, was, he was pretty out of luck. Drew, drew first blood. They were shooting. Yeah. It was bad news. But yeah, um, I mean, the, the big thing is there's there's a lot of glaring plot holes in this film. And there's, there's a big difference between a plot hole and something that was left unpurposely vague. This film is definitely plot holes because we're never going back to these things. Unlikely. You know, unless they're going to turn around and they're going to do like an X-23 spin-off movie with X-23 and the Rugrats or, you know, <laughs> like... X-23 and the Rugrats. Logan 2! You know, which all is, is predicated on, like, whether she grows up to be... Not Jake Lloyd? Not Jake Lloyd, yeah. Yeah. The you kid know? from Vader? Or kid from or Vader from Phantom Menace? Yeah, old, old Anakin Skywalker, Annie. Yeah. You know, but I mean, that kid had a lot of medicating circumstances for the stuff that's happened to him now. I mean, he's definitely a failure as a human being, but... <laughs> you mean like, mediating circumstances? Well, yeah, I mean... Yeah, not medicating, although he probably did medicate heavily. Impossible. Um, I mean, you know, he, he was only hated second as much to Hayden Christensen. Right. You know, and Hayden 
He's like a hate vampire. I mean, the more hate you spit on him, the more he's just like, whatever. He just feeds on it? Yeah. I mean, you come up to him and like you're... undead. Yeah. Come to him and like, yeah, you were terrible in that movie. And he's like, yeah, I was in Star Wars. Where you been in? Thug Life. And you're like, hey, I was in Thug Life? And he's like, no. That's where the music plays, and it's like, Thug Life. No, you ain't been in nothing. Aha, uh-huh, right. Pro- probably ever. Yeah. See ya. The worst part is he explained the joke to you as he was doing it. Hayden Christensen. Out. Vampire away. But, you know, J- but Lloyd, you know, I mean, he had to be like, Jake Lloyd had to be like, this is the coolest thing ever. This is going to be my go-to line for the rest of my life. I just go walk in a room and I was like, yeah, I was a kid in Star Wars. Oh, yeah. The downside is, you know, yeah, I was a kid in Star Wars and everybody's like, oh, man, yeah, you really sucked. <laughs> you really pulled that film down. You still look like that kid. Just more drunk. Just more drunk. <laughs> Sad day. So, like, you know, his his life is... It's pretty messed up. So, I mean, barring that happening to the girl from Logan... Right. I mean, yeah, I, I guess you could have some half-ass movie with her later on, with the other kids around her. Unlikely. No, it doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> Why would you ever put the movie in 2024, or 2045, or wherever, the, that far into the future? It doesn't make any damn sense. You can never get a chance to use that character again. No. The rest of the timeline's never going to catch up with it. No. And as much as I want to shoestring together that this isn't the regular timeline, this is the X-Men 3 timeline, it doesn't It doesn't make any sense. It's not going to work. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. Well, no, it doesn't. And, and, you know, for those people who don't know Old Man Logan and think that this is what it is, it's, it's not. No. You know, if you if you saw this film and you like this film, go read Old Man Logan. Not because it's a better telling of this book, or this film. It's because, like, that film doesn't have anything to do with Old Man Logan. No. So just realize, yeah. realize that you like, you know, what, what you're actually watching, you know. But, I mean, granted, at least Logan wasn't called... Old Man Logan. Right. It was just that there was so much hype about it because Hugh Jackman had talked about yeah. wanting to do Old Man Logan. Right. And that was like, if I could go out on one story, it would be Old Man Logan. And so people seen this and wait, he's he's old, he's and he's still a man. <laughs> old man, it's Old Man Logan. But it's not. It's not. It's not that at all. <laughs> so like Brett comes in the woods. Ansel and Gretel are. Like, just keep eating these. <laughs> <laughs> silly but I mean th- these are these are small small issues right compared you know? to the giant plot holes in the middle of the film uh, well yeah I, I, mm. honestly for me none of the characters make much of a progression I mean the, the whole storytelling for this film was off you know Wolverine doesn't he hasn't grown as a character he regressed throughout the entire movie he doesn't actually grow until the very end just before he dies because of ex machina green juice it tastes great yeah i guess when you inject it well oh, <laughs> yeah you're supposed to drink it that's oh horrible. that was the problem that's why he died yeah. ectoplasm slime or high c you don't inject in yourself no it's a bad I, choice and there was a lot of things that were in there that that just didn't it just didn't have any point and they could have been done so much better i mean granted okay so we meet the family the the farm family. Yes. The only reason that we met them was to savagely kill them. Well, explain where the... The super corn came from? Super corn came from to get rid of mutants. Yeah, which honestly didn't even need to happen. 
No. Not, not, neither of them needed to happen, honestly. No. We didn't need to meet the family so that they could savagely be killed. We could have just as easily have left and had those guys show up later and be like, oh, yeah, the old man, he went that away, <laughs> and caught up with him later. We still got in the supercorn, which was a plot thread that didn't make any sense and was left in the dust, and most people just forgot about it, so I, I guess good on you, filmmakers. Well, they left it where they left it in the film, forgotten. Yeah. All the trouble. Yeah, corn controls your emotions and everything else, and they're using it to breed out the mutants. Yeah, woo! I mean, everything else about that whole development could have been done without without killing them. Without, well, without yeah. that group of cats. I mean, they were, they were totally brought in just for that. And it, it totally it totally feels like that. It doesn't feel like anything else. Um, and even, even her getting the iPod could have been there. And honestly, okay, so let's say we have the one clear moment in Xavier's mind. He remembers what he did. He remembers who he is. He knows what's going on. How does he not know that that's not Logan? Out of all those moments, if that's the one clear moment, it's not like he didn't see him because he was shadowy. He sees him with his mind. <laughs> You're telling me he didn't he didn't see that his mind was wrong? I mean, we got Wolverine, hundreds of years, well, at least a hundred years of experience. Kind of cares about Chuck. Maybe perturbed because he might have to change his diaper. Yeah, well, that's true. And then we have Clonehead, who's thinking Snickers and killing. <laughs> you tell me he can't tell the difference between their minds? Apparently not. I guess not. Unless the clone head was thinking, oh man, I'm going to change his diaper before I kill him. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that wasn't going through his mind. You never know. Hey, maybe. Maybe that was the psychic defense that he was taught. Maybe the very first thing he thought when he got up to the room was, I hope I don't have to change his diaper first. Oh, never mind. <laughs> maybe that's why he killed him. He was originally going to capture him, and then he was like, damn. Sold yourself again, Chuck. Death. If this is how you're finding out that Charles doesn't make it through the movie, I'm sorry. <laughs> Because <laughs> it is kind of a heart-wrenching scene, sort of. It's pretty epic in the movie, but uh, your explanation makes it terrible. <laughs> what did kind of leave me with my, my mouth dropping? Because it was like, really, who did you think you were fooling? <laughs> right. We all knew it wasn't Logan killing him in the bed. I mean, come on. Well, clearly, we just saw him out in the cornfield with the farmer. Yeah, had you cut, had you, like, intercut that with X-23, maybe, getting mad? Sure. Or listening to the gangster rap or something? Maybe. Maybe, because that incites violence. I'm sorry, that was terrible. <laughs> it's something to get hyped up, Rob. Hopefully, we'd, you know, just, just take that out, I guess. <laughs> no, it's good. It's fine. <laughs> but. Just, just like playing Grand Theft Auto, whatever. <laughs> Turns you to, to a villain. There you go. Boom. You play plenty of that game. I have. I have. I like I jumping bikes in the buildings. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's terrible. And launching myself with the grenades. That's that's what I do. Yeah. I haven't done it in real life yet. I like my legs. <laughs> well. But yeah. Rules. I mean, there's there was just so much in there, and like even kind of cameo stuff. I mean, at least they were light on it in this film. But they almost went so light on it that there was a lot of people who didn't even know that Donald Pierce was the guy that that the, the you know with the robot hand. And the weird throat robotics? Yeah. yeah. Um, which wasn't ever explained either. And I kind of thought that was going to be a deal. I kind of thought going in from the commercials, he'd had dealings with X-23, and that's why he had beef on her. 
I don't think that's what you say that, but yeah. <laughs> he had a beef with her. There you go, that's better. Um, but no, it, it, not at all. He's just got a robe on him, because evidently he, he's tired of taking care of himself. <laughs> well, so he got the first man... Hand? Man hand? Yeah, there yeah. you go. Robot man hand. Is it a cyborg hand rub? That way he doesn't get tired when he's doing things with his hand. I guess. It maybe makes him shoot better. Oh, about that. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Clearly he didn't shoot any of them, so no. Well? I mean, there's a lot of gun shooting. I don't think he hits anybody. Well, yeah, but that's how... That's, that's, that's movie magic. I mean, that's how it goes. Obviously. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they do that. They drop the Ravengers. Um, I mean, it was better than... X-Men 3, where we're trying to drop, like, every mutant that we could possibly do. But, I mean, that's not really saying anything. No. Um, Caliban, I thought, actually came off as a better hero, which is sad, because he's not supposed to be the character in the story that's that's the hero character. No, he matters the least out of the movies. Yeah. Now, honestly, he really does. Um, Last time we saw him was the beginning of Apocalypse, and that's yeah. it. I don't even know if that's the same actor. It's, it's, it's the, the same actor. Is it? You know what? Internet tells if it is or not, I guess. They use a message if we're wrong. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And Rob's saying it's not because he's shaking his head, so... I, I just don't know. That's yeah, fine, whatever. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I, I even came away with it with kind of the conclusion that there was another guy behind the scenes. So even though Wolverine kills the guys that are there, and we kill X-25, I think it is? 24. And X-24. That there was another guy... That X-24 would have listened to. Well, we clearly see in the video from the nurse that was thought to be the mother until she turned out not to be the mother, that there's a whole video of scientist people. They're just putting kids to death once they were done experimenting on them. And this dude just, the dude that we weren't running around with, the doctor, big bad, he's just one of them. So there's like a yeah. whole platoon of these other idiots that have been doing exactly the same stuff. So, so ultimately, they had like more insult to injury with Wolverine's completely unepic death. Is that they just go and make X twenty six and X twenty seven and X twenty eight and X what who you know they just X keep two hundred they just keep making Wolverine soldiers, and there's no one who could stop them because Wolverine is dead now. I mean, the Rugrats might have fantastic adventures, but they're not going to stop Wolverine. Heck no. Especially not Snickers and Murder Wolverine. <laughs> the only carriage about two things. Well, yes. That's it. Snickers and Murder. Yeah. That's it. There's no sating that guy. Yeah, the other Wolverine at least cared about other things. He sometimes was like, oh, you're a kid. I'm not going to murder you. Or, <laughs> oh, I would like a fancy steak dinner, so I'm not going to murder you. He had occasions. This guy, no. No, not at all. No. He's not like, give him a Snickers and he feels better about the life. No. There's one mode. Murder. <laughs> That's it. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I can't fault it for not going into the finer minutia of what X-23 has that's animantium and what isn't. Yeah. Um, and I do have to give it credit in that they really did kind of try to shoot it as we only see what Logan is connected to. So if he passes out because of mysterious illness, we don't see that. You know, um, so I mean, there's there's a bonus in that, but at the same time, there's a lot, just just a lot of things in there that just don't add up. Yeah, and they're kind of just done because they're like, he doesn't want to do it anymore, so let's kill him. Well, so it's got a self-motivated timeline too, which is something that really bugs me. I mean, 
we have this whole, we have to get to Canada because, I don't know, human cloning and killing and testing and murder isn't legal in Canada. Uh, but it is in America? Wait, hang on. You were doing the Texas and Mexico because there are no laws in Mexico, people. If you don't know that, there's your spoiler. There's no rules in Mexico. No laws. There's barely a border. That's a whole thing that is a totally different discussion. But nevertheless, their timeline is to get themselves to Canada before they have a four-hour window when there's a satellite that magically won't see that area. Hang on. But if you're escaping through America, and these things are not legal in America also, but for some reason, eh, whatever, it's still dangerous in America. You think getting to the woods in Canada is I'm not going to change the fact you're in the woods in Canada? Oh, they might get asylum. No, no. Craig wants me to believe there's a mountain behind every tree in Canada. But you know what? I know that's not true. Because there's a lot of trees in Canada. The population's not that high. See, so if all of them are card-carrying mounties, there ain't no way every one of those trees got a guy behind them. No way. Absolutely not. And they're so worried about getting them... Go, stop before you get across the border. Direct quote from the movie. Stop before they get across the border. Oh, you mean that checkered line on the map that isn't really there? Because it's not anything. I'm pretty sure my bullet goes across the border and I drag him back over to the other side. It doesn't make a damn bit of difference. Pretty sure. Man, nobody's, nobody, nobody would know. No. Not at all. The only reason the border between America and Canada matters is if you're at a check spot. Because then there is actually people there. Yeah, there's that, a whole that are, that are bunch of that are checking your IDs and having you go through the little thing, raising the bar, lowering the bar. Yeah, yeah there's a whole batch of process. Yeah, otherwise it doesn't matter. No. I mean, you can go back and forth between Colorado... Utah. And Utah, walking on your, your hands, smoking a J, and nobody's going to care. Because nobody's there. Exactly. Clearly, they're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, that was the whole point. I mean, honestly, any any rational thinking super society that can evidently make mutants and make super corn, who has, I don't know, drones that could find these kids to begin with, would just watch them go into the Canadian wilderness, watch them go to the Canadian hideout, and then drive their truck into the Canadian hideout and catch them all and kill them all. Take whoever they want back over the border. There's absolutely nothing stopping them. No. Um, there was no reason to try to engage them in the wilderness in in the first place. Which, I mean, granted, they probably thought, X-23 and the Rugrats, they're not going to do anything. Oh, sure, if you're going to catch them and kill them in the woods, at least there's less to clean up because you can leave the bodies. Yeah. Only an idiot would go, oh, they're running to the secret base, we better stop them before they get to the secret base. You just follow them to the secret base. All <laughs> right. You just see where they're going with your drone that you've already shown can find where these kids are. Right. Well, they're afraid to get into the Canadian mountain land, and then they were just, I don't know. It's weird over there. They speak French and English. It's <laughs> weird. Crazy. Have you seen their bacon? It's flappy. <laughs> they totally disappear when they get across the border. You get too close to a tree and it just shoots sap at you and it gets sticky. It's terrible. Oh, absolutely. You got needles on you, and you're like sticky. Ham. It's terrible. There's a guy who shows up riding on a moose, and he's like, "I don't think you should be here, sir." But he's polite about it. Wait a minute, let me say it in French, just in case you didn't understand. Because he's polite about it. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Self-appointed timeline. I, yeah. Hate it. I mean, I, I mean, I get it. At some point, you gotta you gotta wrap things up, I guess, for for a film. But like for me. Wolverine dying in the woods 
being put under a piece of rock while the big nemesis of the film keeps making super corn, keeps making clones, and keeps making copies of kids. Can't see a copy of Wolverine? Yeah, because his next one is going to be, you know, uh, Wolverine slash Caliban. So Wolverine who can just track mutants. And then they talk about it in the film. Yeah. Like, let's harvest his DNA. He had a pretty good power. That doctor got shot in the face. Forget the other eight doctors that were on the video tape from earlier. Yeah. Yeah, They didn't make anything. The internet doesn't exist. All of his knowledge died with him. Right. Yeah. They don't even have phones in that version of the future. Because phones are... for pussies. <laughs> Perfect. Sorry. I don't, I don't know any other way to say it. Like, it doesn't make any sense. No. Like, and, and I... I'll give you, I'll give you the send-off with the cross-tip over. That's cool. And if you're going to send him out, send him out at least, at least in a way that's, I don't know, definitive, I guess. But the whole time he's laying there dying, you have a giant tree limb sticking through his chest. It doesn't matter if the animantium is poisoning him. The animantium is still there. It's still in his chest. What's in your chest, Rob? Ribs. And that's no small tree bark to whittle its way through your rib section. No. It's a giant chunk of tree sticking through him. Now, I'll give you, it would have gone through the stomach. Totally understand. There's not any bones in that stomach area. Totally understand. I mean, I guess it would have been weird to film if she's, like, crying over his stomach and, I mean, her age and his age and positioning of the camera. It would be a little hard to get the face shots, I guess. So make it the chest instead. Cinema. Meh. Otherwise, no. Absolutely not. Yeah, you're talking about the, the location of his of the, the death blow. Of the death blow. Yeah. It, where he's pinned on the freaking rock with the, the tree, and he's sticking out of his chest. Yeah. And the, the other thing that gives me... Is, that's nitpicky, I'm sorry, go on. Well, no, that's, that's, you know, I mean, that's what we're talking about. The other thing that gets me is, okay, so the death for X-25... 24? 24, sorry. Yes. I keep wanting to bring him up into that number. Um, comes from the Animantium Bullet. Now, presumably, this Animantium Bullet is the same Animantium Bullet from Wolverine Origin. Not not the same bullet, but the same type from the same they gun. They talk about being something he's had for a while, and they act like it's it's a piece that was used once before. Yeah. And granted, it has been turned into a hollow point. They do show us the end of it, so if you know what a hollow point looks like, then you know that's what it's been changed into. But nevertheless, it doesn't change the fact that it's one bullet. Okay. Well, I mean, aside from that, changing into a hollow point, yeah, okay, that's going to cause more damage. But the maximum amount of damage that it caused to Wolverine was he forgot who he was for a while. How's that going to finish off 24? Presumably he has an Animanthium skeleton. The same Animanthium skeleton that Wolverine had. So you're saying that maybe he should have forgot about Snickers? <laughs> it's possible. Only cared about murder? It It just makes me think that... There's no way that that gun would have killed him. <laughs> so, like, the X Mac and a bullet doesn't make any sense either. No. No, it Now, push, pushing him to the point that his healing factor can't keep up with him and he dies from it, okay. Unless we're trying to find some BS way to bring back Wolverine after he kills him off in the story where we shoot him in the head with the Animantium bullet and he just forgets that he's all about death and Snickers and lives in the woods as a wild man and eventually becomes Wolverine again. Well, see now... Some kind of weird cycle if a, <laughs> of Wolverine. That is a far reach. Now, if Professor yeah. X wasn't already dead by a lake, then I would say that's possible because X could just put the memories in his brain and be like, hey, reset, good job. 
out of boy, get at it. But because that's not an option, and in theory, Jean Grey and everyone else is dead, the only person that maybe he could run into would be X twenty three, and then she just explained that one time he was in a comic book, and he'd be like, "Sweet, let's go have adventures," and she'd be like, "Yeah, adventures are awesome." Yeah, that's true. And the Rugrats would be like, "Yeah, yeah, juice and cookies." And away they way they go. Let's all cut your facial hair in a weird ceremony. Because kids. <laughs> I don't think that's. I think okay, that got. But it happened, and it was weird. <laughs> I mean, that was yeah, that's true. Yes, yeah. they were all hanging out, shaking. Which is not why, right. I don't know why it happened. I, I guess they were like, you know what? This happened in Mad Max, so why not? But Mad Max kind of made sense. Yeah. They're all dirt children. They know better. Yeah. I mean, sadly, from what we're saying, I mean, this sounds like it's possibly the worst film ever made, which is not the case. No. It's no. It's still a worthwhile film, and I, I think people should check it out and see it. As far as the Wolverine films go, I think it's probably the best of the group. Sure. Which, I mean, honestly, is not saying a whole lot. And before people start rushing off to try to defend Origin... Because now they got these guys out there that are like Deadpool apologists. I don't know if you've seen this or not. Mm. Yeah. Because the uh, the guys who did the special effects stuff were kind of like, oh, yeah, well, this was supposed to be like a, like a pupa stage for Deadpool. And he, he would grow into the Deadpool that we see later. This was like, you know, the cocoon stage. It's like, no, it's not the case. Like the damn butterfly? Yeah, well, like like he would grow into just regular Deadpool and... Evidently just crap out his Baraka blades and... Into regular swords? And forget how to use his... Teleportation you know, Teleportation and eye blast. Yeah. Huh. No, they're just... They're covering their butts. That's what it is. Right. Well. I mean, if you followed what was going on with it, you know you know what Ryan Reynolds had already said, which was that this isn't what you want to do, this isn't how you want to make this character, and they told him to go stuff it until they got the test results back and people said, like... Not my Deadpool. And they shot the little extra thing at the end. So yeah. so don't buy the hype and apologize for X, for Wolverine Origin. Yeah. You know, I mean, apologize in the way that the rest of it was fine. And that the Deadpool stuff's bad. I suppose it was supposed to be a Wolverine movie, so, you know, yeah. try not to judge it by Deadpool, I guess. But, I mean, still, Logan is the better oh, of, of too, the two. Sure. You know, as, as the three movies stand... Logan, I think, is the best. Two was pretty good, but... Yeah, I'll show you number in, two. In two. Hang on, that's not how I meant that. <laughs> but where is she, anyways? <laughs> Evidently, yeah, with all the rest of mutants. We didn't want to, like, bother to bring her back and put an old mage makeup on her. No. Yeah. Not attractive. No, I, that's true. It yeah. But she's Asian, too, so I mean, you could have just left her alone. Asian. So it's very true. I'm Three just million saying. years old, you look so good when you're not. That was sort of Yoda, but not really Yoda. <laughs> no. I don't know exactly what was going on there. We've gone down this we weird, should probably move weird, on to books, yeah, because at this point it's just getting to be debauchery. E- either way, yeah. Uh, Worth a watch, folks, but... Yeah, but just, you know... Best have, movie ever? Nah. Have a care. You know, I mean, it, it really just... It is what it is, but think about why you really like it. Not just be, like, bowled over because, oh, well... Well, Rain's dead now, so best movie ever. It's it's really it's really not. If you think about it, it's a lot of problems. A lot, a lot of problems. Yeah, we glass over those parts. They're story elements. No one cares about the story. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> We're just saying. We want speaking of stories, that was almost a segue by mistake. Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. So, Rob, you want to tell me a story about Generation X number one? Sure. I guess so, since all the trash talk. Take that, Wolverine. Uh, we have writer Christina Strain with artist Emil Carpina. This is actually like kind of catching up with where everything's at with the rest of the X universe right now. And so we're starting a new generation of mutants that are kind of learning in Central Park. Yeah, they've relocated the uh, Jean Grey Institute, or the old Xavier Institute, now to Central Park, and they've renamed it again uh, the Xavier Institute. So it's gone through this whole hiatus of name changes and relocation. Current location being Central Park. Yeah. Um, so as the story kind of opens up, we catch up with Jubilee, and she's running after her adopted son at this point. Shoto. Shoto. Yeah. And it's kind of got a neat introspective where we're talking about kind of the challenges of growing up. Right. You know, you kind of get to the, you get to the point where you think, like, I'm going to have all the answers. But you never, you know, you never really get there. We no. just learned how to deal with things better, I guess. As we go. And kind of to make this connect back to the old Generation X stuff, we run into Chamber, who's also out there looking for Shogo. And we have a little bit of commentary on how people treat their kids now or whatever. Uh, Jokes about people leashes, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we go back and we are introduced to one of our new kind of possible X-Men students. And he's got this power where when he makes contact with people, he'll uh, he'll be able to kind of see their life. So he kind of picks up a psychic resonance with them. Uh, evidently, his nickname or his uh, his code name is Hindsight, and it's Nathaniel Carver. As much as I'm a fan of X Men, I don't know if I've ever come across Nathaniel Carver before. So if I if he has shown up somewhere, I. Yeah, I can tell you. Yeah, but we kind of get to meet the usual suspects, the people that have been showing up since Wolverine and the X-Men, and in the Uncanny X-Men. So as he's going through the school, we come across Glob Herman, and uh, Rock Slide, and Kid Apocalypse. And he winds up kind of not paying attention where he's going, and he winds up running into one of the Cuckoos. And so we kind of get like an idea of who they are from him bumping into them. And pretty quickly, like, we're introduced to a couple other characters. We're introduced to one of the characters that was in the Uncanny X-Men who, um, kind of, when he's around somebody, he'll morph into the way they look and can kind of, he has like a semi-psychic ability where he picks up kind of their vibes and can talk to them. Well, he picks up their traits, too, like he'll shapeshift. When he becomes like you, you're, you're sent more at ease with him. And it's kind of like a low-level telekinesis, is what it seems to me. Now, maybe I've missed some of his development of his abilities, um, but he's taken the, the moniker Morph. But yeah, he, he showed up in this last Uncanny X-Men line. Um, we quickly find out that the whole reason that Jubilee's here is they're looking at having her kind of as an instructor for this next generation of mutants. And of course, 
as we've done so many times now with the next generation of mutants, we go, I'm ready to teach them to be X-Men, and they go, oh, no, no. They're not going to be X-Men. They're, they're just going to learn stuff, and then they're going to leave. They're going to they're gonna go off in the world and get jobs, which I think we all know better than. But, you know, we, we always start like that. Yeah, always. So, you know, once again, this team is not going to be that case. We introduce Bling, Quantum Cord, and Nature Girl and Eye Boy, which, of course, all of these characters have been kind of floating around the X world for a while. Either way, it results in a whole battle in the school, and Nature Girl sending in ducks, her geese, to attack. And, of course, we have uh, Hindsight run into more of them, so he gets more of their kind of backstory. So if you hadn't really been uh, too connected to these characters before, you're getting a little bit of their, their backstory. Well, you're learning with him as he goes through the school, kind of, yeah. what's happening. And it kind of it, it ends with him basically being like, I can't deal with this. This isn't the life I want to have. And he starts walking out, and Jubilee kind of catches him before he goes and starts talking to him about, yeah, today is crazy, but it's not always this crazy. And, you know, the whole reason that we came to these schools, or the reason that I came to this school, was because I didn't fit in anywhere else. And here's a place that you can be you, and you can fit in. Uh, and then there's, of course, a little catch in the end to set up some stuff for the next Next, next adventure? Yeah. yeah. Um, so basically she lies to him, hook, line, and sinker style. Well, no, I, I mean, I think... It's all jokes, I'm kidding. <laughs> I think Jubilee believes that. It's a pretty decent beginning story. And you've probably listened to the show for a while, you know, I'm an X fan. And Generation X was kind of a big thing for me. I, I really liked that series. And I feel like a lot of people kind of, we, we fell off with it. I was kind of hoping for this to be closer to the vein of the other Generation X. So... Um, I would say, I'd rate it about as a two. Uh, for me, as an X-Fan, I really wish that they would use characters that either we hadn't really been dealing with so much in the last couple of X-Titles, uh, and I also wish they would kind of be grabbing more interesting characters. Because, I mean, a lot of these characters, even as a, even as a pretty long-time X-Fan... I'm kind of on the fence of what what is going to happen with them. And maybe I'm going to be proved wrong. Maybe they pick these characters solely based on the idea that when you look at them, you go, eh, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and we're going to be all shown up. I mean, I kind of felt like that with Wolverine and the X-Men when they first introduced a lot of these characters, and most of them turned around and had something cool about them. As as a book goes, um, I thought the art was... Was pretty good, writing for it, pretty good. But you know, like I said, I, I, I think I think like a two. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm around about the same caliber. I mean, I I remember Generation X very fondly. Maybe it's just a matter of time. I think the big difference there is that we were dealing with teacher type characters that were reluctant to be the teacher because it's not something they ever wanted to do. That's true. I mean, we had Banshee and we had Emma Frost, and the only reason Emma was there was to try to prove that she wasn't evil anymore, and Banshee's basically there in case Emma gets out of control. Yeah. So, like, the setup was slightly different. And it's not like this needs to be the same setup, but we're met again with a Jubilee really wants to be a teacher. I'm going to teach the X-Men and Kitty running the school, Kitty Pride. Says, oh, no, no, they're going to be they're going to be student types instead. And, you know, like, it's a trope now, but 
that's fine and whatever. Setup wise, it's not like a horrible setup. I mean, everyone no. wants the best for whoever. But as far as like setups concerned, I think the flavor of it, I dug that better. Granted, it, it may just be hindsight memory and like sure coding for memory, which is fine. Um, as far as setup, I mean, it's an interesting place because we have Jubilee dealing with a kid, uh, Shogo, and her dealing with her vampirism, and they sort of remind us about that when they show us the blood pack. And as far as pieces, like, I'm not real happy with Kitty Pride, but that's not necessarily this story's fault. I mean, yeah. she's where she is because of other stories. And I don't necessarily mind her as a leader of a team. I think that's fine and dandy, but the idea that she's also being the administrator of the school is kind of like, uh, really? Like, you don't have a business person for that? Really? That seems a little weird. Yeah, they probably could have had another character. Even if it's, even if it's not room. a named character. I mean, they... Well, there's plenty of X-Men. Yeah, there's that's true. plenty of them that's that, that could have stepped into that position. Yeah. As far as, like, characters are concerned, you didn't have to be a named character. Mm. Anyway, that's beyond. It's just nitpicky nonsense. Anyway, the rest of it is pretty good. I mean, the interesting batch of characters, we'll see how they play together. I mean, like you said, Wolverine and X-Men, when initially introduced a whole bunch of brand new characters, it was like, who are these people? Yeah. So this is why I feel like they went the other direction and gave us characters we sort of know if you've been reading books. Yeah. If you're new to the, X -Gen the X-Men in general, or this is the first, like, teen, teen book for it, and you're only familiar with the 90s X-Men or 92 X-Men, then these are all new characters for you, too. So, And honestly, as a, as a break-in for new characters, it doesn't do a bad job. Hindsight actually does give us kind of some good perspective of who these characters are. Yeah, the way they depict the backstories like, with just a few panels to like, give us kind of a lot of history on a, a couple of them, at least. I mean, we see the, the cuckoos with the dead body and with the dead cuckoo. And we had a lot of, of chord stuff. So as far as, like, that piece, I think that piece was really well done. Anyway, yeah, I give it two and a half. We'll see where it goes. I mean, whatever. It's not as punk rock as the original X, Generation X. Well, that, that's true, too. So, they hit me in the right spot with the first one because most of these characters were broken. They were really broken as humans. Most of them couldn't couldn't be humans. I mean, you look at Chamber; he's he's got no lower jaw. It's just phantom energy shooting out of him. Skin is like droopy, melty face guy. You know, got a one lady that's completely wrapped in rock hard diamond blades and stuff. I mean, like everybody had a little bit more broken qualities. So oh, it didn't fit in, fit in perspective of the fact they didn't look like they fit either. Yeah. I mean, Saber Jubilee, none of the rest of them look normal. Well, this is true, you know. So, anyway, um, all right, uh, so move on to uh, Batman the Shadow. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm excited about this one. So, uh, this is a uh, team-up event through Dark Horse, or, jeez, this is a team-up event through DC Comics and Dynamite. Um, as far as uh, publications concerned, it's coming out um, on the DC side of things, but it's a duo publishing, so... We got the old Shadow, which, uh, depending on how much you know about the Shadow, if you've ever encountered him before, he's a, he's a character from the 50s, um, had a bunch of radio drama stuff that happened back in the day, got at least one movie, um, I want to say 90s, I think is when it came yeah. out. Which is an odd spot, but if you like the movie, it's important to kind of, I don't know, if you wind up liking the movie... Get interested in the character because the shadow is really deep. There's a lot of pieces about him that are super, super weird for like a 50s character. Yes. 
Um, so, uh, writers on this, we have, uh, Scott Snyder and Steve Orlando. Uh, Riley Rossman was doing the art, which I think is fantastic. I dig Rossman a lot. Yeah. Um, and of course, Snyder, you'll know him from other Batman things. Uh, so when we first started the story, we wound up joining our Cape Crusader in Bruce Wayne persona in the French Alps. And, uh, he's there with an old man drinking a glass of wine. He's got this wooden, like, it's a wooden sword, but not like a fencing sword. Um, it's made of a particular type of wood. And then, of course, we have some dialogue between the two of them, and that leads us to uh, why Bruce is there in the first place. And Bruce decides to explain to him that there's a mystery he's having trouble solving. And that cuts us back in time to uh, join Arkham Asylum. And uh, in Arkham, we're introduced to this, this fellow who's in orderly, he serves meals to the inmates in Arkham, and mostly the inmates in the uh, crazy criminal ward. So as he goes through, he goes through his evening. He brings eat poison ivy her her dinner, which also has flies flies along with it. For well, it has tarantulas for the fly traps to eat. Um, so like special things, and he brings Zeus a, a historically accurate prepared meal that he learned from reading a history book in a museum. Uh, it brings Two-Face, although what Two-Face really wanted was uh, whiskey, and he's not allowed to bring whiskey, but he brings him a dog from the stadium from a Gotham Knights game. So that makes him happy, too. Mr. Freeze delivers a special dinner, too, so like, he takes very good care in, like, taking care of all these folks in the prison. They all seem to have, like, a weird respect level for the, I mean, basically the, the catering orderly. Anyway, he returns home, and he's going through his messages, he winds up, as he's greeted at the door by a wiener dog in a uh, set of roller legs for, uh, like, a disabled pup. And we wind up learning, later on in the story, we learn more about the guy. Apparently he takes in, a, not abused animals, but, like, injured animals, physically disabled, like, takes care of them. So the dude's, like, an all-around, like, good Joe. Uh, he's got a message from a lady who's interested in seeing him again. And then from there, we automatically wind up finding out that someone else is in the apartment with him. That leads to a mess on the floor and him with a bloody face. So we cut the next morning, and the Gotham PD is there, Montoya, and a few other detectives of not noteworthy names. But the second Montoya, you should know her from older Batman stuff, her pre-New 52 stuff. She lets other boys know that she'll finish up the body by herself and go ahead and head on down to the to get themselves a bagel or whatever, and the guys leave the room, and about that time she looks over and sees in the corner where Batman is, and she's like, what do you want? And Batman's like, I need a minute with the body. She's like, are you the commissioner now? You got four minutes, I'm gonna go have a cigarette. I don't want you here when I get back. And she bounces. So he's Batman to do his work in a little time, because Matoya, she's along the same lines as Gordon. Gordon's a little more happy to see Batman most of the time. Matoya, eh, she falls on either side of the coin, depending on what story it is. But Batman, he's got his tools in there and researching how the body is and where the body's at, looking for clues. And we went up running into another character who happens to be there also that Batman knew was not there when he cased the room. And out of nowhere, we hear this crazy laugh and see a uh, bloody dagger attempt to cut Batman. And of course, that turns into a little bit of a ruckus. Batman chases the fellow out the window. Uh, for those of us that know the shadow, we know it's the shadow because we know how he looks. Uh, that leads to a fight on top of the rooftop. Uh, during the fight, the Shadow mentions uh, something to Batman that's from a letter his grandfather wrote him when he was a child. 
And that leads to Batman giving a low blow to the old shadow right in the right in the guy parts. Hilarious. Or from there, Batman starts questioning the shadow like, there's no way you should know what you're saying. And the shadow does his uh, catch line, the shadow knows, and magically disappears, leaving Batman in a stupor saying, what is going on? Because Batman usually leaves and no one knows where he went. But the shadow did it to him, Batman style, which is kind of awesome. Well, plus, uh, Batman was having a hard time focusing before the shadow showed up, and he marks remarks about how, oh, I checked the room, he couldn't have been here before this. Right. So, Well, that leads us to the Batcave, and of course Batman doing Batman stuff, researching different items and different people, and trying to find face recognition from what little bit he got from his visor, or from his, uh, his cowl cam, and of course researching the fellow that was killed. And that leads him to uh, the identity of Lamont Cranston, which Lamont Cranston, for those of you who know the shadow, the name makes sense to you. And uh, apparently this young man that was working at the asylum is supposed to be related to Lamont Cranston. First decides, well, Lamont's the, Cranston's the place I have to investigate, and this is the fellow that's supposed to have died in 1963. So he decides to go look into the guy and find known associates. And he finds a few of them, and they're all elderly statesmen or elderly people. Um, and every one of them has the same kind of response. That there's not, We have nothing to do with that guy. And uh, eventually, Bruce takes on his persona of Matches Malone, and he goes and meets a, uh, a woman named Margot Lane. And Margot... Margot is, I guess, the closest thing that the Shadow would have to, like, uh, Lois Lane. Uh, she was like his, like a cohort. I mean, there was kind of romance between the two of them, too, but she was like his assistant type person. So she, her fit in the world is, I don't know, it's got, got both A and B sides of things. Yeah, she was as close to an actual companion and like cohort as the Shadow God. Right. Well, we meet her, and of course, she's also in her in her late, I would say late 80s, 90s. And uh, Batman shows up, and he started, he's talking to her, and he's like, you're not afraid? And she's like, I've seen way worse than you, as if Batman's nothing to her. And uh, he starts asking her about the shadow and about Cranston, and she's like, I'm surprised you're the first person that's coming to me. And she lets him know that she's no longer connected to the shadow ever since he told his followers to start calling him by a new name, the Master. And uh, she didn't like that so much, and so she punched out after that. But she tells him that how Lamont used to keep an apartment uptown, back before uptown was uptown. And so, he throws his Maximum Malone gear again, and he goes off to this apartment complex type, suite kind of place. Gets there, of course, there's a doorman, there's a bell hop, and there's an elevator hop, and he gets in the elevator, and the elevator hops, Oh, you're new to the city guy? I haven't seen you around before. What floor you need? What room you looking for? And is a, you know, overly happy, chatty, looking for a tip type. And we wind up seeing that on his hand he happens to have a red ring, which is something that's connected to the shadow. Like, the shadow's followers or helpers would wear the red rings in order to identify themselves to each other. Though the starts running, and about that time the bell up decides he's going to get frisky with Malone, which we all know is Batman. And uh, that doesn't go so well for the bellhop. And, of course, as the fight goes on, the bellhop mentions something about, we'll never let you get to the sanctum 
my grandfather before me, and my grandfather, my great-grandfather, and of course Batman just punches him out because he's a little weasel. That leads Batman into Lamont's apartment, or I, I guess his secret lair, it's his apartment. Anyway, as he searches the building, or he searches the room, he winds up finding a hidden room that leads into a, a crap ton of masks, like men, women, old, young, all kinds of headdresses, and he remembers something that Margot told him, that she knew all of his faces, and listed a whole bunch of names, and from that it leads him to a batch of weapons on the wall, basically like his version of the Batcave, save her computers, it's all weaponry and different tools, and so Bruce states to scanning everything, and that leads him to finding of this dagger that was used earlier against him, an exact match for the one he has in the cave now, is made of the same wood that the sparring sword was. And that Bruce has seen the sparring swords once before, which is what leads us back to France in the current time. And I'm going to stop there because it gets pretty revealing here in the last couple pages. I'm sure at this point you can probably guess where it's going. As far as setup's concerned, they did a pretty good job getting us to where we're at. And it's a fairly fun story. I mean, I dig the shadow a lot, just because that old school radio drama stuff that we used to listen to when we were younger is a kind of big thing. And I even liked the movie when it came out. Like, it's been a while since I watched it, so I don't know if it holds up with time, people. For all I know, there's giant plot holes in it, too. Healing factor killing you. Stupid. It, it doesn't. It doesn't no, I mean, hold up? It doesn't hold up. Ah, see, there you go. <laughs> so I guess watch it at your own peril. Um... But as far as, like, setup's concerned in the book, it's a pretty good lead-into, and the way that things get connected is kind of awesome. I, I give it a four. I mean, I, I thought it was really fun. I really dig Riley Rossmo's art. Like, he's very stylized, so it might not be for everybody, but I dig his art a lot. Like, he's, I think he's a badass. So, yeah, I give it, what I say, four? <laughs> yeah, four. Give it a four. Rob, uh, score the book. I'd follow with that. I'd give it a four as well. I'd... I've become a bigger fan of the Shadow in the last several years. I, I feel like this is a pretty good interpretation of him. He's definitely a darker version of the Shadow, but I like the play that they have with him and Batman in this story. So, yeah, I'm, I'm impressed with it so far. Cool. Um, all right, let's move on to Med. Medicine. Oh, medicine. Is it med medicine? Yeah. Right. So let's like move meta. on to... Meta sin. Met, meta. Yes. Meta sin. Um, Alright, so this is written by Jeff Dyer and Mark McKeon. Uh, with art by David Bram. Uh, and of course, this one's coming out of Action Lab. And so, um, when we get started in this story, we kind of have this atypical super battle going on. The unique thing for this is that every time we have the hero land his punch on the dastardly villain, we're getting a medical breakdown of what's happening to the guy's body. So we're hearing, like, lacerated liver and broken metacarpal and this and that. And what we kind of find out is that the villain character is... He's the quick thinker, which basically just means that he has a really hyperactive brain. He can kind of see things before they happen in the probabilities. And the guy who's beating him up is basically like a glorified Superman. As this battle kind of is unfurrowing, he sees uh, 
a possibility of getting away from the Superman type guy as a, another one of his cohorts named Live, uh, or I'm sorry, Direct Current winds up attacking him. And possibly, possibly killing Superman guy, possibly. So it's hard to say. We don't know. But, uh, Direct Current realizes, like, how, be- how beaten up Quick Thinker is. And it's like, oh man, we gotta get you out of here. We gotta get you to a doctor. And as they flee the battle, like, the Quick Thinker's like, nobody's gonna help us. We're the villains in the story. We can't, you know, who's, who's gonna help us when we're, when we're hurt? And ultimately, the Quick Thinker actually winds up dying in front of, a, of the hospital. With nobody even coming out to, like, see what was going on. With that, we catch up with our story 27 years later. And we have this whole group of uh, medical professionals that kind of get called out, and they have this uh, sort of battle gear that they go running out into into the fray with, and their whole deal is they're on... they're out in, like, this kind of battle wagon or whatever, taking care of the villains that are getting hurt. They're, like, helping patch them up and providing medical assistance as quickly as they can during these battles. And once again, it kind of still gives that breakdown, and we find out that the Doctor character that we're going to be following this story is related to the Quick Thinker. And he has a similar ability. The downside is it's not an ability that he can turn on and off. And so he's actually having to find ways to keep his mind from racing. So they can actually focus on what's going on right here, right now. But he's kind of the one who calls the shots and tells everybody where to go, who to help now, who to leave. Um, And we kind of have a lot of different drama that goes on with each of these characters as we're introduced to them. But as the story goes we start seeing a lot of the, the medical professionals kind of question, you know, what are we doing, you know? We took this oath to, to help save lives, but, you know, we're, we're saving the villains' lives. How is that really helping? And uh, even as they're questioning these things, we start finding out that there's somebody behind the scenes that set this up that's kind of blackmailing a lot of the different characters into being a part of this medical corp. And sort of the penalty for running away from it, or trying to fight against it, is like, it'll kind of liquefy your brain, basically. So not following the guidelines that this guy has set out to help these villains, or to help whoever they can, will result in death. And possibly death beyond you. Very Suicide Squad-y. Yeah, pretty much. Except for more, like... Well, you and your family both. Yeah, there's, there's, it's a little bit more insidious, I guess. But yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same. Amanda Weller's the devil. <laughs> um, and as we go through the story, we kind of learn a little bit more about some of the particular characters, and we really get to learn a lot about who our kind of main Doctor character is, and we kind of learn a lot of the relationship between the different, the different Doctors and their kind of their relationship with some of the villains and so on. The downside is there's not a whole lot that I can say that's not like kind of spoiling the idea of this book. And there's kind of a neat little catch at the end of it for leading on to the, to the next set of books. But like suffice to say, it's actually a pretty neat read. It's a cool concept. I'd give it a two and a half again. I actually really like the read. I like the concept for it. The... Supervillain characters aren't terribly inspired, and neither are the villains, are the heroes, 
But they're not supposed to be. The, the whole point of the story is these medical professional characters and the things that they're doing and why they're doing it and kind of the personality of who they are. And for that, I think it's written pretty well. Um, there's moments where characters kind of come off a little, a little flat. And maybe that's because this is kind of a, a, it's a very new book. Honestly, I think that if this book was coming out from Icon, with maybe a little bit higher caliber artist, I think this book would be seen as a lot more impactful. It's got a great concept, and I think the storytelling is pretty good. It just, it's missing something in there, and, and some of it is also, it's missing a little bit more of a, a finer artist, I think. This guy's good, but it's, it's needing something. So I, I'd say 2.5, um, actually pretty good book. If you're looking for something that's a, that's a bit different, totally say medicine, give it a shot. So. Cool. Uh, Score-wise, I go, I go along with you and give it a two and a half. I mean, like, like you said, it's, it's a new con, it's new, it's a really good concept. It's, uh, coming from a smaller company. So as far as, like, getting noticed, because it's from a smaller company, it's harder to just get in, just to, just to pick it up in general. Yeah. Because it's not something you know, it's not names you know, so. I say give it a try, as far as, like, book setup's concerned. Fun read, interesting to see where it goes. It might be better in a trade, but if you don't get the individuals made, you don't get a trade, so... Yeah. Suck it up, folks. If you want something off the beaten path, all you indie snobs, uh, this is a good place to be. Yeah, I, I, honestly, you've got to take, take kind of risks with these books if you want smaller books to make it. Right. But I, I think this book is the next kind of sleeper hit that somebody's going, oh, well, let's try to make that a movie, or let's try to make that a TV show. Because it's got a great concept, and it's actually executed pretty well. So That works good. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's go and move on to Luke Cage, number one. This is from uh, Marvel Comics, of course. Luke Cage, you know, from the hit TV show. I, I think it's called Luke Cage. I'm pretty, pretty yeah. sure it's of, of the same titling. Yeah. Uh, for those of you in the old know, I mean, this would be Power Man. Yes. Uh, also in another book with Power Man and Iron Fist. Uh, yeah. You know, also from the hit shows by the same names. Um, you know, just in case you wondered. And you might see them in Defenders later. There, there is definitely word on the street that's the case. Um, so, uh, Issue one we got here is by David Walker, or David F. Walker, uh, and the artist is uh, Nielsen Blake II. Totally dig the art. I think it's awesome. Uh, I don't know if I've seen Nielsen Blake, seen Nelson before or not, but great stuff. So, book-wise, I mean, we open up and it's Luke Cage doing Luke Cage things. I mean, he's hero Harlem, he's a hero for hire, and he's in the process of executing a, a hired heroing. And, uh, of course, you know what, when he, when he shows up, the folks in, in the bar he shows up in know who he is, know to expect a visit from him, especially if he's hunting somebody, is going to lead to things getting messed up. And, of course, he, he talks real nice with the bartender, the lady running the establishment, and lets her know, yeah, any damages, you know, we'll get taken care of. And she's like, all right, just don't whoop nobody too hard. And away she goes. Clears out the bar from upstairs, and then he heads downstairs to take care of the problem. Uh, what we find out is in the basement is a woman being held hostage, or a girl being held hostage, by a thug who's owed money. And uh, at this point, the thug is expecting a ransom to release the girl. Of course, as Luke goes, we get a whole lot of really cool, like, uh, 
introverted type stuff, like him talking about how people respond to him and how people tell him, oh, you should invest in bulletproof shirts. And he's like, no, no, whenever they see the gun go off and my shirt get ripped up but do nothing, it creates terror. So it's all part of the gimmick, which is kind of awesome. Because it's like, oh, yeah, I let it happen on purpose, you know, that's why I buy my shirts in bulk. And he talks about, well, he still fills it, even if it doesn't penetrate the skin, you still fill it. So it's not like nothing happens to him, he's just not, I mean, he's super strong, super strength. But he still fills it, especially when the muzzle's right against him. Eventually he saves her, takes her back home to mom and dad. Mom and dad are like, oh, we don't know how to pay you. And he's like, well, I know a guy who's looking for a job. His criminal record, he's out of prison at this point. His record is not getting him, getting him higher places. Give him a job when you're stores, and you will consider it even. So it's like, you know, helping the community, like, uh, I don't know, what you, how, there's a way to say that when you're, reciprocity for helping, or reciprocity, I don't know. It's kind of just paying, paying it forward. Paying it know? forward, that's what I was looking for, paying it forward, man. I'm like, every, an eye for an eye puts the whole world blind, but that's not a saying that makes sense for that. No, not, not in this case. So yeah, like, pay it forward type thing going on, which is really pretty cool, and Towards the end of that, we wound up getting, seeing Luke get a call, and he gets some bad news that has to do with an old doctor that turns out to be the doctor that basically created him, turned him into Luke Cage. And uh, in, the, in the comic world versus the TV world, it's not, it's not the same. Like, if you've seen a TV show, that's the only experience you have with Luke Cage. In the comic books, him and the doctor were not on the same terms as they were in the show. Yeah. Uh, slightly different situation. And in this case, the doctor and him, there's more of a symbolic bond between the two of them, really. Yeah, and they kind of came together um, in, in his old series and had kind of almost like a father-son sort of relationship. A little bit, yeah. You know? They make reference to that in here, too. So it, it's more of a, like, losing it. Uh, well, when I find out, of course, that he's, that he's gone, and circumstances behind him being gone, of course, we go over in the book a little bit, and I'm going to leave that blank just because, you know, it's part of the mystery, man. Yeah. And the whole time we, we see the funeral service go on, we see somebody watching from the sidelines. And as this is going on, we are introduced to a batch of other characters and other folks that the doctors helped. Um, and we find out that a few of them have been experiencing side effects. And then we wind up learning that one of his other confidants, the one who called Luke in the first place, she's not of the entire belief that what happened to him is exactly what happened to him. And, of course, that leads to... Uh, a, a lot more uh, intermingling with what the Doctor's been working on between Luke and now. And we want to find out some stuff about him. He, he lost his wife, and so he was having some hard time with that, too. But nevertheless, she's the assistant or the, the, other, the, other, the other lady that called him. She's pretty positive there's foul play involved. And, of course, that leads to a little bit of gangster chase, um, which leads to some pretty crazy stuff that happens during a fight between Luke and a batch of other, of other thug types that may not be just straight thugs. Um, I'm going to leave it there because the giveaways in the last three pages are crazy. Like, if you know Luke Cage, they're crazy. Super interesting. I'll give you that one of the reveals is not one I'm super familiar with from, from Luke, but there's a lot of characters around back in the 70s and 80s that I don't know. But the biggest catch happens before they even reveal that piece. And it's crazy, because it's something we don't usually see. Yeah. Uh, see, score-wise, uh, with as little as I was able to actually tell you about it, the dual hook at the end is really crazy and pretty cool. 
I like the setup for it. I totally dig the art. I mean, I think it's I think Blake's awesome. Uh, so score wise, I give it four. I'm super excited to see the rest of it. I'm still digging Power Man Iron Fist. So like having f- three books: Luke Cage, Power Man, Iron Fist, and Iron Fist by itself. It's kind of cool because you get all three books in a month, and it's like Total Defender's awesome. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, I give it a four. Rob, score for the book. I'd follow it up. I'd go with four as well. Um, Luke Cage is kind of one of those characters that he was super popular in the 70s, and he kind of just he fell off the radar. And I think a lot of it was just they didn't know what to do with him. Um, and they've done a couple of different series up to this point, but what I like about this so much is that it feels like this is actually utilizing a lot of his his previous his previous adventures, and I felt a lot of tie-in with like his old adventures in this story. Well, all the pieces they talk about, the flashback storyline-wise, and they talk about the old Doctor, like, all those pieces are nailed back to other stories. Yeah. So it's definitely rooted in history of things, and if it's if it's not, then whoever whoever gleamed it did good. Yeah, they did They I mean, did a pretty good job of it. But I, I feel like this is a very true version of, of Luke Cage. So if you liked him in the show, and you want to see what he's kind of more like in the Marvel Universe, this is totally the best book to go through. And I know, you know, the 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 cart the artwork for it, the cover work for it, makes it look like they're just trying to go straight off the hype of the show. But this is really Marvel's Luke Cage. It's not trying to be Netflix Luke Cage. So right. it's definitely worth taking a look at. But yeah, I, if I didn't say before, I'd, I'd follow suit with a four. I really enjoy this one so far, and I'm interested to see where it goes as well. Right on. Um, all right, let's move on to Flash 22. All right. Now, this is a big book um, in that it has a lot of reveals. And so that means we're probably not going to be talking about much of this book. Because it's got a lot of reveals. Because there are a lot of reveals. Um, but we got script by Jose Williamson and art by Howard Porter, which, by the way, is fantastic. Great, oh, yeah, great work there. And, and honestly... Unfortunately, we can't really say, like, oh, by, it's colored by somebody because it's colored by Hi-Fi. It's colored by a company. But the color work on this one was actually really, really well done because they do a good job with Flash and, and kind of streaking all of the lightning off of their bodies and stuff. And I, I don't know. For some reason, to me, it stuck out. Now, the, the art's amazing. And as far as, like, Hi-Fi as a company, they're, they're really good. They've done a lot of books, actually. There's, as far as how many people work there, no idea. But they do good, they do good work. Coloring-wise. Um, but yeah, art-wise, it's a really, really pretty book. For those people who were following, we did the first part of the button. Right. And this is actually going to be the, the tail end of that story. And so we catch up with Flash and Batman chasing Zoom through the time stream. And those who know Zoom, Zoom can Zoom can bounce through time. It's, it's not so much that he's running fast as much as he can manipulate time around him. Which is something that Barry really can't do. He needs something else to do that. In this case, it's the cosmic treadmill. The treadmill, yeah. And one of the things that's really going on is Zoom talking about once he finds out who who's responsible for this, um, who who has the power that this button represents, that he's going to take it for himself and he's going to use it to change things again. And Barry's kind of like. You know, the more you change, the, the more chance you have of, like, ruining your own timeline. And he's like, nah, I already exist outside of my own timeline. I've already died. I've already come back when I'm not supposed to be here. I don't have to worry about this anymore. I'm the most powerful thing that you've ever seen, because I'm a man who can exist outside of time. 
And he talks about things like pushing his connection to Barry even further, going through the point of like, well, this time when I go back, I'm not just going to kill your mom. I'm going to be one of the neighbors. I'm going to be a trusted friend. And you're going to be left with me, and I'm going to be the one who teaches you to be who you are. So, like, he's basically talking about how he's going to rewrite time even more out of control than it ever was before. But, much to Zoom's dismay, when he gets there, when he finds out the true secret of the button, it's beyond him. It's something that he didn't want. And it winds up kind of catching us back up to what we saw actually in the first issue. So kind of actually, I guess the last few issues have been taking place in those few seconds. We wind up finding out as we're chasing Zoom that there's kind of echoes from the time stream that can call out to you, and it can confuse you and try to like pull you away from where you need to be. And I guess this is why we, we kind of learn in the long run why it's kind of dangerous for the flashes in the time stream. Because without a lightning rod, it's easy to get confused and be pulled out and be lost in the, in the speed force. Um, and so we kind of hear somebody keep saying things to Barry as the story progresses. And Batman kind of being like, well, maybe you should listen to this. Could be important stuff, Barry. You never know. And him being like, no, no, you know, you don't listen to the ghosts in the Speed Force. Secrets and lies. Because there could be, uh, you know, a lot of bad things that go on with this. As the story goes, though, um, we wind up getting a big reveal. And we wind up finding a, a big part of maybe where we're going to go with this story is revealed about mid-book. But one of the interesting things for me that comes out of it is that Batman got to meet with his father and kind of leaves him with this uh, this lasting memory of him telling him, like, you don't have to be Batman. You can let this go. And we kind of see that actually get under Bruce's skin and kind of him starting to develop, to, to kind of question, does he need to be who, who he set himself down the road of? But we also get another big catch at the very end, and... It may have been predictable what that is, but it leads us to something even bigger as our next part of the story. So if you thought that, oh, wow, it's weird that Rebirth was all built up so that we could have a four-part miniseries and that was going to wrap it all up, that's not going to be the case. No, there's more stuff coming in November, Yeah, which is a long way to wait, but at the same time... At least the setup so far seems like it might be worth it. Well, I mean, the the idea of of this, as I understand it, was almost like a a two year hook, right? And so, yeah, I mean, we're we're not seeing maybe what people thought that they were going to see, but it's a very good hook. So the the button story actually played out really well, and I think I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens next. Right. Um, and those fans that have been around for a while are definitely going to recognize some of these big twists without having a whole lot of explanation to them. Right. I don't know. Just just really well done, I think. I, I, I'd go with four. I, I really enjoyed it. I loved the artwork for it. I thought the storyline was really well done. Um, really cool hooks on both sides. And even though we've seen one of them coming, it still didn't really disappoint when it was revealed, so... Well, um, you know, I, I gotta follow suit, too. I mean, it's... Uh, 
I, I, I really want to give it a four and a half. Just, but I, I'm a real, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a big Batman fan, so I don't know if it's just my liking Batman that's a problem or, yeah, I'll give it four and a half, score wise. It, really good. Yeah, like you said, I mean, the, the initial payoff is something we suspected as soon as it started. But all the pieces in the middle are super interesting and how those are going to affect things later is just crazy. So, I would say hell of interesting. Now, if you've never read anything except for New 52, there are definitely be pieces you don't understand. Easily characters that you, you won't have any reference to because they're from before that. So, I can see it being slightly confusing if you've never read anything but 52. Like, runs of books. But as far as setup is concerned and payoff, I think they did really well. And like you said, the art's really great. So, the covers were awesome. I mean, they did the lenticulars across the board on the four, and they're sick. And even the, even the variants were really cool. So, yeah, super impressed with all that. Um, so, uh, what'd you learn today, Rob? I learned that um, cleaning up yeast poo is even hard for an Omega level mutant. <laughs> that's a, I think it's hard for anybody, which that's what that basically says. All right, uh, Rob, what did I learn today? Uh, somehow our review on Logan leads to more piling on Jake Lloyd and his disappointment as a life. That's. I'm sorry. That's yeah. It's a, that, that is a hard lesson to learn. It's rough. It's rough. I would still be like, hey, I was a kid in Star Wars, even if people don't like it, but, you know, I, I get it, Jake. Maybe that's the problem. They always go like, let's get that guy a drink. Oh, hey, maybe. He's like, don't worry about me, I'm driving. It's like, <laughs> no, no. This is pod racing. No. Oh, no. Poor guy. Damn it. That's wrong. Oh. Uh, all right, well, let's get this thing wrapped up here. Uh, you got any books to watch, Rob? Short list, fourth bar. Um, yeah, X-Men Blue, X-Men Gold, um, Weapon X have all been fantastic so far. Uh, we're going to be seeing Iceman come out here pretty soon, so hopefully those are all good. Um, Green Arrow has been fantastic. Red Hood and the Outlaws have been great. Uh, Birthright, of course, and then Deadly Class and... Black Science? Black Science. Bum, bum, bum. Matt Taylor's going to be in Denver again this year. Rob, that's super exciting. It is. It is exciting. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Book-wise, uh, let me give you uh, Rose. Uh, issue 2 came out this last week. Just, uh, really good. Dig and Meredith Finch and stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, they finally finished up uh, AD. The Volume 3 came out of that guy. Um and I felt like there was something on the horizon, and I was like, that was really cool. But now I don't remember what it was. Uh, still sure digging is. Super Sons. Uh, I think it's fantastic. Superman's really good right now, too. I mean, like we've said before, Superman, if you don't follow it, it's because it's you hate Superman. Right now, Superman's a mix of him and the Sun. Would you say, that sounds terrible, it's double Superman, but that's not the case. It really isn't. Everybody in that Batman and Robin stuff with Peter Damasi, the same crew, Peter Damasi, Pat Gleason, McRae, you're dealing with the same guys, just Superman flavored. So, uh, anyway, uh, fantastic. Uh, I don't know how I forgot the Secret Empire. Oh, yeah, Secret Empire. Been legit, so. Cap is such a good villain. Oh my god, it's, it's almost terrible because of how good a villain he is. Wow. So yeah, that is fantastic. If you haven't, haven't gotten that thing yet, uh, yeah, get it, get it. 
because it's been awesome. Um, I guess that's it, Rob. I don't, uh, there's words in my head, but they don't make any sense. Well, so. We need to wrap this up quickly. So dun, it's, all, dun, dun. it's all good. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, right. That's pretty good. Show um, fatality? I think so. Show fatality. Like there's blood everywhere. I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> Who's going to clean this up? No, damn it. Nobody. Nobody. That's the problem. Ah, uh, Tiki? Tiki. Ah, <laughs> oh, Tiki. Tiki. Ah, uh, Wakaza. 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 Waka